Living Corporate is brought to you by the Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of the Access Point, where we talk to you guys, college and, college and early graduate individuals, about how to better yourselves and you better your career. So we wanted to give a just a brief introduction about the corporate, about Living Corporate and all of its um, people. So Tristan, go ahead and talk more about Living Corporate. Yeah, so thank you once again, everybody, for joining us. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Living Corporate, Living Corporate is a writing and podcast platform dedicated to exploring and celebrating underrepresented identities in corporate America. Um, we are early to mid-career consultants who came together based on our shared desire to have frank conversations about the way we exist, survive, and succeed in corporate spaces. Um, as a collective, we represent a broad spectrum of beliefs, cultures, and identities, and we know that our differences have shaped our perspectives and experiences in corporate America. So we want to engage with other voices that often go unheard and have our conversations out loud. Um, Living Corporate is for anyone who wants to have these conversations with us and push the needle forward on how we can create and sustain same spaces that reflect true inclusiveness. So that's a little bit about Living Corporate. And now you guys are here for the access point. And I want to make sure you guys sort of get a little intro into what that is too. So I'll pass it back over to you, Brandon, about okay. the access point. All right, thank you, Tristan. Well, the access point is, which is part of the Living Corporate Network, the access point is our weekly web show but we strive to bring out real talk that will prepare you for the workforce. While our, con our content is for everyone, we are focused on preparing black and brown college students just like you for the future of work. Every week, we'll have an incredible guest to help us discussing the topics at hand. This, this week, we have our illustrious guest, Liz Swain. How are you doing, Liz? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for being on. Thank you. For being so, Liz, uh, tell us more, a little bit more about yourself. Like, what do you do for work, and why did you want to come to the access point? Well, first, I want to say thank you to everybody who has uh, joined us today. I appreciate your giving your time and your engagement. I have been involved in uh, Living Corporate for some time now. I, uh, I love the podcast. I've, in fact, been able to, to guest host uh, two of them. And my, um, my interest really comes from a passion for uh, developing people to be the best professionals that they can be, helping people to achieve their, their goals and their objectives. In uh, Houston, I am actually on the board of an organization called Genesis Works Houston. And we specialize in providing uh, job and life skills training to underserved high school students to equip them for a lifetime of financial independence, uh, primarily through our program that provides uh, paying internships with Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and this is specifically focused on underserved, on students from underserved communities, because we're not going to achieve equality, equity, or liberation 
if we do not focus on providing not just not just the skills and the training, but the opportunities and the access. And that's what I'm really dedicated to. And that's what Living Corporate is here for. Um, and I'm here for it. Uh, in terms of my, my professional life, um, I am a partner at one of the uh, big four public accounting firms. I have been in uh, the tax practice for almost, well, actually a little over 20 years now. Uh, and I spe have specialized in uh, working with multinational companies, um, helping them to structure the way that they operate um, across borders. I, um, I took a professional leave of absence in January. Uh, because I have depression and I have OCD and I had uh, I had a major depression that I had to recover from. And so I chose to step away from my career and focus on getting my mental health back. Uh, so I'm I'm pleased to report that I'm doing great. But that's also something that I'm really passionate about, um, our mental health, um, our ability to show up for ourselves and each other. Um, is all dependent on how well we are mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And that's uh, that's something else that I feel is important, especially for people from um, underserved communities who so often don't have um, the access or opportunity to access the types of um, services that they need in order to maintain strong mental health. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Liz. Yes, I yes. really appreciate that because I know I know that is a, a really personal thing, but it's a thing that a lot of us deal with. Um, and sometimes we deal with it in silence. Right. Um, so it, it's 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 you know, very encouraging to hear, you know, somebody else is, do, you know, is like me out there who may be dealing with that very same thing. And I'm so glad that you've taken the time to sort of, you know, make sure that you are OK, because you can't you can't pour into anybody else if you aren't 100 percent. Right. So yes. <laughs> I really, really appreciate you you sharing that. And we, you know, normalizing that conversation because this is something that should be talked about because we all at some point in time experience something in the mental health realm, whether it be anxiety, depression, whatever it is. So thank you. Absolutely. Yes, thank and, you, thank and thank you. Uh, <laughs> and as, as you said, uh, you can't be there for anyone else unless you can, you can first care for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So today I know we're going to be talking a little bit about finding sponsors, mentors, and allies. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, one of the things that you might find uh, interesting about me is that I, uh, in addition to my to my career, my professional life, I've also pursued a PhD in uh, psychology, specifically organizational leadership. And so I will be sprinkling some of that content in here. Uh, promise not to get too dry or too technical. But there are things that I think are important as we talk about how we look for support in the workplace. So again, I'm excited to be with you and I'm really appreciative of your taking the time to join and to engage. Give you a little bit of an overview. Uh, we are going to dig into this model that, that I came up with. Um, it's the way that I think about support in the workplace. Uh, we'll talk about the different types of supporters. We'll talk about how you can assess your own support. We'll talk a little bit about detractors. Uh, and then I'd like to close with a few things that I think are important to consider. Um, and then we'll dialogue. 
So let's get into it. There are many ways of considering support in organizations, and this is my framework. So I built in on these two main variables that I've observed are really important in influencing people's behaviors and how they show support for their colleagues. So you'll see the two variables are those lines that cross. And the horizontal axis represents people's investment in you. And by that, I mean, how invested is somebody in your development, your growth, and ultimately your success? The competing or, or the, the, the bisecting axis, the vertical one, is looking at how willing are people to spend social and political capital on you. So social and political capital is something that you should think about like goodwill that people have built up in an organization based on favors they've done for others, successes they've had. You know, it's, it's all the positive aspects of their brand and reputation. So as you can see, there are four types of supporters here. Casual fan, super fan, sponsor, and mentor. So let's get to know a little bit about them. So first I'm gonna kind of describe these different uh, types at, at a high level, um, and then kind of dig into how power plays a role in determining who falls into which bucket. Um, and I'll also try to sprinkle in some examples of how I've seen this in action and how it's affected me um, and people that I know. So I wanna start off first by saying though that none of these types are any better or worse. Um, than any of the others. They're all just different roles, and that's how we need to think about them. So let's get started with super fans. This is your hype squad. These are the folks who amp up the crowd. Um, they can even come in and give you a break from hyping yourself. These folks are willing to tell anyone and everyone how great they think you are, which represents a form of them putting their brand out there for you. At the same time, although they may really like you, they're not personally invested in your growth and development. In other words, you're not their protege. And when it comes for lobbying for raises or promotions, these folks likely don't feel obligated to support you or go to the mat for you. They've probably already thrown their support behind somebody else. Sponsors are actually a lot like super fans in that they're willing to spend political and social capital on you. But these folks take it one step further and they invest in grooming you. Uh, this can take the form of bringing you onto their teams, ensuring that you get to work on projects that align with your interests and, and let you gain skills that you need to advance. Behind closed doors, these are the people who advocate for your promotion, for your raises, for your bonuses. Uh, they see you as, as their protege. So a question I get a lot, how do I get a sponsor? Well, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but you can start developing relationships with people you admire and want to emulate and then continually seek them out for guidance about how to progress and grow your career. Um, ask to work with them. Um, ask them for opportunities. Over time, that's how you cultivate a sponsor. So mentors are a little bit different. They share sponsors' level of investment in your development, but for whatever reason, they're either unable or they're unwilling to extend their social and political capital for you. Now, most often the reason for this um, is that even though like mentors care a lot about you, 
they may not have the juice in the organization to make things happen. And that's something that comes down to power. So super fans and sponsors typically have quite a bit of power in an organization. They may have the power to determine who gets rewarded. Uh, they may have what's called coercive power. In other words, they can, they can punish people. But whatever, whatever their base of power is, those folks have it. Mentors may or may not have it, but they're not the ones who are going to be pounding on the table for you. So you can ask people to mentor you, and that's often a really solid approach for early career professionals. Uh, other people I've seen tend to prefer to, to grow their relationships organically, and they develop a mentor relationship based on seeking out coaching. So the key difference here, though, is that with a sponsor, you are looking to focus the relationship on advocating for your advancement. And with a mentor, the emphasis is more on developing you as a person and a professional. Last group, casual fans. These folks aren't heavily invested in your success, and they're not about to spend their capital on you. But this is likely to be the biggest group of supporters you're going to have over the course of your career. Most people have a ton of casual fans. Now, casual fans can have different levels of power in the organization. Their, their power can come from all different sources. Um, but they are, they are generally people who um, want to say nice things when somebody asks them, uh, but they're not about to go out of their way. So when we think about like how power works here, Sponsors are only really able to be sponsors because they have power in the organization. Same with super fans. Now, mentors may or may not have power. Um, if they do, often it comes from the fact that they're experts in an area. Now, the power aspect is important because as you'll see when we talk through it in a moment, it affects how effective somebody can be as a supporter for you. The most frequent challenge that I have observed um, for early career professionals in navigating these different types of, of support roles um, has been that there's a tendency to confuse uh, super fans with sponsors. And I've seen this happen quite a bit uh, with my um, with what I what I call uh, my pioneers. These are the folks who haven't necessarily had someone else um, in their family or close to them be in a corporate space before. And so they encounter people who are really seemingly supportive of them and, and seemingly supportive of them publicly. Um, but then then they stop, right? They don't, they don't have the follow through. They're, they're not the ones who are advocating for them for opportunities on a project or for promotion. And that can lead to a lot of, a lot of confusion and frankly hurt. Now, one of the other things that I think is also important to bring up here um, is, is that um, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, well-intentioned white people um, appear to be sponsors for underrepresented young professionals. And in reality, they're just super fans. Um, you know, these are folks who kind of perceive themselves as champions of diversity and inclusion, um, but they've already established protégés with whom, you know, for whom they're all in. And so rather than, than adding a protégé, um, instead, they they shrink their support when it really matters for 
promoting and, and advancing someone. Now, I've, I've noticed that confusing mentors and sponsors tends to happen less. Um, and, and that's also because it's not quite as, as much of an issue. Um, both mentors and sponsors are committed to your growth and development. Um, it's a question really of who has power. Now, uh, you may notice that the word ally is conspicuously absent from this model. Uh, and there's a reason for that. All of these types are technically allies. Uh, in my experience, ally has become a fairly meaningless term that lets uh, white wokeness enthusiasts um, feel like we are contributing to the liberation of minoritized people, um, but we're not actually putting ourselves at any risk, and we're not really making any effort to enhance the outcomes for black and brown professionals. And so I, I think that ally, particularly in this context, as we're trying to think about what does support look like, frankly pretty meaningless. So there's lots of different ways to evaluate and assess your supporters. Uh, these are the five that I found in my experience to be most helpful in, in letting me work through where people are um, as supporters for me. So of the four support types, the, the most amount of effort and time is required from sponsors and mentors. And frankly, it's on both sides. I mean, we're all busy. And so it's really important to recognize who is making time for you when you need it, but they really don't have it. Like a lot of people will say, you know, oh, my door is always open. But when you come to them, they're not engaging with you. And I mean, not everybody's going to be able to drop what they're doing every time you need them. But on balance, your strongest supporters are the ones who make time for you, even when it's not convenient for them. Now, trust is a major part of establishing a support relationship. And one of the ways people build trust is by being reliable and dependable. And like we just talked about, being counted on to make time for you is definitely something that builds trust. Um, but it's also really important to consider how vulnerable your supporters are willing to be with you. Do they share information that's personal, concrete, relatable? Uh, and do they do it first? In other words, uh, do they seek to establish trust by first opening themselves up to you? Uh, or is it more of a one-way street where they expect you to be open and honest with them, but they hold back? Uh, that's frankly one of my biggest flags, um, my biggest red flags for supporters. Um, I've been known to call these people emotional vampires uh, because they seem to feed off the energy they get from people being vulnerable with them but then they don't give anything back. Uh, most often when I have seen this behavior, it has come from white folks with a savior complex. Uh, my, my advice to you on this is that if you have people who seem to want to assume that you will trust them automatically, but they're not willing to build trust with you by being vulnerable, put them in the fan category and keep your distance. Now, your supporters are there to encourage you, and this is especially true in the case of a mentor. They're there to give you feedback that helps you grow and develop. It may not always be what you want to hear, but from a good mentor, it's probably what you need to hear. Now, at the same time, really good mentors and, frankly, sponsors are almost never prescriptive. Uh, in other words, they don't tell you what to do. They try to help you figure out for yourself what the right answer is, 
Now, often they'll do this by asking open-ended questions that help you think through situations and your alternatives for handling them. Now, it's really important to consider how effective your supporters are for you. Now, for instance, um, if you think you have a sponsor, but they consistently aren't helping you get on the kinds of projects that you'd like to do, they're not standing up for you in difficult situations, that's not effective. And so you really need to think about, are you getting the kind of support that you need from the people that you're relying on? And, you know, each one of these factors is important. But for me, the, the most important hands down uh, is, is self-awareness. Um, because it, it really links to all of the other areas. So people who know what commitments they've made, they're honest with themselves about their capacity to follow through, use their time well, they're less likely to overcommit. Now, this is something I have been totally guilty of over the course of my career. I, I see myself as highly capable. I am. But I am also not able to be everywhere all at once. And I have overextended myself. Um, and when I've done this, I have let people down. Um, and I I have let myself down in the process. And so this, this whole piece of, of self-awareness is critical, not, not just for, for sponsorship, um, but also in mentorship. Self-awareness is critical to being a good coach. Now, something I have seen way too much of is uh, well-intentioned folks who think that giving helpful professional advice consists of telling you what they would do if they were you. Um, but there are a lot of ways that this can backfire. And this is especially true when the supporter is not conscious of their privilege. Uh, so let me let me give you an example. I, I have been lucky over, over the course of my career um, to have been a mentor and a sponsor for several of my younger Black female colleagues. Uh, and sometimes they've come to me and they've said, what would you do in this situation? I, I'm, I'm on a team. I, I feel like I'm being excluded from opportunities to, um, you know, to be present in front of the client, to, to present our findings, to lead meetings. Um, they're, they're going to other people. And frankly, they're going to other people who look like the folks in charge. What should I, what, what should I do? What would you do? Um, and it would be absolutely negligent of me to tell them what I would do as a suggestion for them to follow it. I am a white woman who occupies a position of authority in a predominantly white organization. Even if I didn't have my title, I would still have a different set of, pr of privileges in that, in that organizational environment. Now, most significant of that is that the consequences for me expressing anger publicly are very different than those faced by Black women in our society. And as a, as, a, as a person who wants to support, I have to be really conscious and very aware about how my personal circumstances may be different and how the personal circumstances of my mentees, my protégés, are going to affect how other people react to what they say and do. Now, as I said, th these are things to consider as you develop and assess your relationships over time. Now, some areas are going to show you red flags. Others are going to be a little bit more subtle. Uh, 
And speaking of red flags, let's digress for a little moment and talk about detractors. So there, there really are only two major types of detractors. Um, there are passive and there are active. Now, the active detractors are those folks who are going to go out of their way to try and harm you. Um, but before, before this gets too scary or I talk too much about them, it's really important to say that you're going to encounter some of these people over the course of your career. But it is very, very unlikely that they're going to make up the majority of the detractors you encounter. Um, because frankly, hardcore uh, active detractors are pretty rare because people are so concerned with themselves that they won't really commit their resources to harming somebody else. And I mean, obviously, there are exceptions, and I will, I will talk about those. Um, but in general, what you'll find is the active detractors are bullies and they thrive in low stakes environments. Uh, in other words, th they will try to assert themselves as dominant, but when confronted by someone with real power, they will fold. And this is where sponsors are the most important. Uh, sponsors can use their power to help you deal with bullies. And, and often, I mean, detractors are motivated by malice um, that comes from racism and sexism. Um, and the intersection of the two. And whether whether they know it or not, that's what's motivating and driving their action. These folks aren't thinking logically and they can't be reasoned with logically. Now I have I have seen early career professionals really struggle with this because at the start, often people don't have strong sponsors and they don't feel like they've got somebody that they can turn to. I will be completely honest with you. This is a very tricky set of issues, um, and the bullies know that. What I have seen be successful is a combination approach. Um, it involves working with human resources as well as your immediate team leaders. Um, if your immediate team leaders or even HR are part of the problem, then obviously it is more difficult. Um, I I have been in these situations with with extreme bullies. Uh, and what I can say is that what worked for me was a combination of getting information from my colleagues who had had similar experiences um, and essentially networking to the supporters who helped them. I I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Um, it can be really difficult and it can feel hopeless at times. Um, there, there is support out there and things will change. Now, scarcity is something that also brings out bullying behavior from active detractors um, who are really ultimately just scared for themselves. Um, when people think that they're at risk of losing what they have, um, they tend to look for what they perceive to be the easiest targets to attack. But again, in, in most of the circumstances you will encounter, um, the bullies don't, the bullies don't really want to spend um, their social and political capital. Um, not for this. Let's talk for a moment about passive detractors. So these are the folks who aren't willing to spend any capital to bring you down. Um, they're just not really helping your cause. Uh, these are these are the casual fans of detraction. Um, and frankly, over the course of your career, the vast majority of people you're going to encounter are either going to be a hard neutral on you um, or aren't going to have negative things to say. Uh, unless somebody really pushes them. It's just not worth it um, for them. 
And so these these people, to the extent you can, avoid them. Um, because I found that they mostly embody um, the out of sight, out of mind uh, concept. If they don't see you, they don't think about you. And that's a good thing. So I know that I have thrown a lot at you really quickly over the last, say, 21 minutes. Um, I seriously appreciate that you've uh, stuck with me through it. So as, as I kind of wrap up this section and, and get into the dialogue, um, there's just a few things I want to leave you with. First, there's no perfect mix of support types. Uh, you want to build a coalition over time um, that includes some people from each of the types and represents different levels in the organizational hierarchy um, and consequently different types of power. Um, you can never have too many fans, whether they're casual or super. Um, and at any one time, you'll likely have one or maybe two sponsors. And that's to be expected. Sponsorship is by far the biggest commitment and it requires a degree of power that's, you know, fairly hard to come by in organizations. You'll find that you have a lot of mentors with varying degrees of investment in you. Mentors are great and you should feel free to engage with as many as you can. Just don't lose sight of who your sponsors are. And that said, things change. People retire, they leave, they get promoted. Power is always shifting in organizations. So who supports you and how they do it is going to change over time. And change isn't inherently bad. You just need to expect it. Now, cultural dynamics and organizations are really important here too. So some organizations seemingly have like a singular set of cultural values and others are more like a collection of groups with cultures of their own um, without getting into an entire discourse on organizational culture, which I can do. Um, the point I want to make here is that an organization's culture is going to affect how people act as supporters. So in hierarchical um, organizations, uh, sponsorship often follows reporting lines um, more than it develops organically. So about once a quarter, I sit down and think about who my sponsors are, who my mentors are, who my fans are, and what kind of a mix I have with all of those types. Um, when I was getting ready to go up for partner in my organization, which was the 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 big promotion, the promotion to end all promotions, um, I spent a lot of time revisiting my support matrix um, because I needed to be able to direct my sponsors uh, toward the people who I knew that I needed to nudge toward neutral, um, who were in the detractor category, and also to make sure that I had you know firmed up support among my super fans. Now, we spent this whole time thinking about support really in one direction, um, and that's how uh, others are supporting you. So keep in mind that from day one of your career, there are other people who are looking to you as their supporter. And it's important for you to think about what kind of supporter you are to others and what kind of supporter you want to be for other people. You're going to have to, over the course of your career, try to line up other people's expectations for your support against your own capabilities and your own capacity. How you show up as a supporter or a detractor for other people matters. And like anything else, it's going to change over time. So again, I really appreciate your sticking with me through this. Uh, and with that, I would like to turn it back over to Brandon and Tristan.
Liz, my friend, you gave us some content, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to unpack it, honestly. Like, it's a lot of information. It's like, wow. I'm sitting there like, I'm texting Tristan, I'm texting Zach, like, wow, this is, is this, this is awesome. So we have a few questions in the group. So we have one from O'Brien Timbo. O'Brien Timbo has a question. He says, corporate world is so transactional. How to break the barrier? People only do things if there's something in it for them. All right. So let me, um, let's unpack that a little bit. Right so, in, right? so let's, <laughs> let's uh, I love it. I'm, I, I am here for it. So let's, let's start with this idea of transactional. So oftentimes we think of transactional as inherently negative. Um, but frankly, the basis of all relationships um, is something called social exchange. And social exchange happens when one person interacts with another and does something for them. And in so doing, the other person goes either, wow, I really like you and I super appreciate that. And I want to do good for you too. Um, I, I I refer to, it's, it's not really the technical term, but th that would be the, I want to do you a solid form of social exchange. And then there are people who are like, oh, you did this for me. Now I'm obligated to do it for you because if I don't, I'm going to get punished. And it's those two aspects. And usually it's the aspect of punishment. That's what gets people to think that transactional is inherently negative. But Transactional just really means exchange. And so, yes, here's the thing. In all of your relationships, there's some type of exchange. But sometimes the exchange comes from people simply wanting to do something for you because what they get in return is a really good feeling. Like, I'll be honest. Why, why do I enjoy coming on here and, and engaging with this? Because through it, I feel good about the fact that I'm being able to take a talent of mine and I'm able to use it in a way that I hope helps others. So yes, everybody's got some reason for what they do. It's not necessarily negative. Where it becomes negative is when they see you as a means to their own end, right? They dehumanize you. They depersonalize you. They treat you as a one of my least favorite terms of all time is actually human resources and human capital. Um, you are not an asset. You're a human being. Um, and when people start to see you as a resource, an input of production that they can use to, to get a benefit for themselves, that's where it gets inherently negative. So yes, go into your interactions expecting that it is to some degree transactional because it is but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is negative. L what to look out for? Look out for people who obviously don't have any interest in, in helping you. Now, oftentimes somebody will come to you with an opportunity and frankly, they need your help, but it's also developmental for you. So yes, they're asking you to join a project or take on an additional task. Look for what, what about it contributes to your goals, aims, and objectives. And if it does, dig on in. If it doesn't, look for ways that you can push back in a professional manner. 
but I would say that that foundationally, remembering that there is there is an exchange happening in every relationship, and how how you come to that exchange, what you bring, um, I think that that's really what defines the value that you're going to get out of it. I love that, Liz. It's, it's a lot about the intention of of what this person is asking you to do in return, right? Just sort of figuring out what what's the intent of all of this as well. Um, but like you said, literally everything, <laughs> every relationship we have from from our our familiar relationships to our personal relationships, they're all transactional in some form. So I think I think sort of viewing them in a way, um, viewing them in the way that you presented them sort of helps us, I think, situate that a little bit better. Um, so I appreciate sharing that. Now, um, Zach put something in the Q&A section that's slightly a comment, <laughs> slightly a question. Um, a he says, the depressing thing. Right, exactly. Exactly. The depressing thing about trying to find a sponsor while black and brown is that those who are willing don't have the organizational power to really move anything for you because racism. Um, you know, so with that, like, how how do people, you know, especially black and brown people, how do we go about finding those those sponsors who have that power? Because I know when I looked when I looked recently, there was a, a report about. Um, it was like being black in corporate America came out, um, and it it basically stated that like black and brown professionals have way lower access to leaders within their organizations um, than their white counterparts. So, how do we go about finding those sponsors that have that power? So, one, um, I'm going to preface this by saying that I I can share my experience, mm -hmm. um, but as as everybody can see. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have lived experience as a black or brown professional. Yep. Um, so let me let me start first um, by completely acknowledging um, that uh, Zach is spot on. Uh, and, and Tristan, to your point about the study that you read, I'm not surprised that in terms of um, feeling and or experiencing access to leaders who individuals perceive have the power to advance them, that um, black and brown professionals are being excluded from that. Uh, and a lot of it comes down to uh, something that is it's referred to as as referent power. Uh, but it has to think about the word reference, right? And identification. People tend to support people with whom they identify. And the major aspects of identity um, come down, as we, as we know, oftentimes to gender, to race, to ability, um, and, and frequently to sexual orientation. And so what, what I have um, observed is that it is, it is not necessarily um, going to be a, a winning strategy to simply pick someone and say, aha, that person has power, you're going to be my sponsor. Um, I, what, I, what I have seen work and what I have tried to do um, is, is to help folks find people who, one, they can build rapport with, find areas, find, find areas of common identification. Because 
one of the most important things in getting somebody to be a sponsor for you is having them see some aspect of themselves in you. Um, whether it's your drive, whether it's, it is, um, you know, how, how you have, how you've come back from a difficult situation or how you've established yourself, whatever it is, that, that kernel is really important. Um, and then next, what I've seen be really important is um, recognizing that um, sometimes support comes from unlikely seeming places. Um, and what I mean by that is that I have, um, and this is, and I'll be honest, this is a really tough one to talk about. Um, I have seen, uh, I have seen among some of my my black colleagues, um, great disappointment in in their um, in the people that they perceived would be their sponsors who are also who are also black, uh, and that they have felt that instead of extending a hand to them, uh, lifting as they climb, um, instead they've been shut out. And what I what I've observed is that in terms of seeking out and and building the sponsorship, uh, looking for people with whom you can find a common point of identity. Uh, looking for people who continuously just seem to show up for you um, and recognizing that the the person who is who becomes your sponsor or who is effective as your sponsor uh, may not look like what you initially thought um, it is it is difficult to find sponsorship in organizations where there are not immediate aspects of um, identification and commonality that's that's true. And in a predominantly white organization, I would expect that that is an issue black and brown uh, professionals are going to encounter. Um, at the same time, it is it is absolutely possible and and in fact, more than possible, it's probable you are going to find those sponsors. There are aspects of it that will be more difficult. Um, but again, look for the commonalities. Look for people, look for people with whom you can build identification and then uh, be persistent. Yeah, I love those tips. I, I think uh, personally for me, one of the, the ways that has been beneficial to find those people who have that those those common um, identifiers or identifications um, is our employee resource groups. Um, I've been really successful in finding mentors and sponsors in those groups. Um, you know, typically they they have some type of, um, you know, executive level sponsorship for the group, but there's a lot of leaders who tend to be in those organizations as well. So it gives you a little bit more access to them than you would have in your normal day-to-day -day interactions most times. Um, so I found that to be useful. I actually found um, a, a sponsor of mine by joining a company kickball team, actually, uh, right? Like, like, and, and so there was a common point that we we met at um, and bonded over, and eventually built a relationship from. Um, so, you know, I think what you said, Liz, is is very pertinent. You don't know where it's going to come from. You don't know who, what it's going to look like. Um, but you know, you sort of have to put yourself in positions to be able to, um, you know 
I guess, get in front of these people um, at times and also begin developing those relationships. And if, if the company's not going to do it, you got to find certain ways that are already sort of there for you to be able to to get that access. Right. Yeah. Enough of my personal, enough of my personal experience. Most of my mentors and sponsors really handpicked me to say, hey, I, I see something in you. I want to work with you and, and, and build a more, more bigger rapport with you. And. For, for my experience as well, too, the way I've also found a few of my uh, my mentors and sponsors is actually being a mentor, a mentee myself. Yeah, a mentee myself. So I would take a younger engineer and try to show them the ropes of everything that's going on. And somebody else sees that and say, hey, if he's helping, taking the time to help somebody else, I want to invest my time in, in doing it as well. So if you make yourself available, not just toward going up, but going down as well in the corporate ladder, you'll find that you'll have more ranges of access opportunities to individuals as well. Brandon, that is so key. Um, I I just, I I think what you really hit on there is, is so important because as you said, one, it's modeling that behavior. Um, And two, we give away a lot of our power when we think that um, the, that we, we don't have, what other people need um, to, you know, to be mentors. We, we think that um, we, you know, we couldn't possibly do that. How could, how could we mentor somebody? We just got here. Uh, there is, there's so much that you bring that each of you brings to the table and not giving away your power um, and recognizing, recognizing that you have that ability to, to improve uh, and enhance somebody else's, career, their opportunities. Uh, that's, that's super, super important because from day one, there are people who are looking up to you and you may not even know that they're there. Yep. I, oh my God. I, I can't tell you how many times. <laughs> Look, just on the top. I actually find it to be really interesting. One of my, one of my like best sponsor or mentorship relationships actually came from somebody who was a direct report of mine, actually. She had been with the company for 20 something years and I had been with the company for five years in leadership, right? The amount of knowledge and, and, and social capital she gained inside of this organization within 20 years significantly outweighed me even as a leader. So, you know, it, it when you say like, you don't know what it, it, it's going to look like or where it's going to come from, that's a that's another thing that you, you, you want to be mindful of. It, it could just be somebody who's been there for a long time, but may not actually hold a a leadership uh, position, but still has authority in the organization too. Um, Yes. And frequently those people will also discount the power that they've accumulated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being able to recognize it. um, And then frankly, going back to what we were talking about a moment ago in terms of exchange, um, when you recognize and affirm somebody else as bringing um, as bringing value to the relationship, as having something unique, um, as as having power, that affirmation is huge for people. Uh, and so, when you're able when you're able to um, acknowledge what someone else is doing for you from a sponsorship, a mentorship, even a fan perspective, really, that's really strong. Liz, we have another question from the group from Peyton. Peyton asks, how should we navigate other people of color who aren't very helpful 
or maybe detractors themselves. Yeah, that's a really tough one. Um, and once again, um, I'm going to plead whiteness. So, <laughs> I, it works, I know. Yeah. Um, I have my membership card. Um, <laughs> dude, my privilege, don't leave me. Look, look, um, pulling the yeah. card. <laughs> so what, what I would say here is that um, one of the things that I um, honestly surprised me the most um, over, you know, especially when I was, when I was much earlier in my career, um, I, I came in of course, with a lot of assumptions and, and suppositions. And, um, one of them was, well, um, other women are going to be super supportive of me because I'm a woman. Uh, uh, um, yeah, no. Um, and what I, what I actually found is some of my biggest detractors were women, um, and they they came from a, a they had a series of experiences uh, that informed them uh, that they were um, that they were at risk they were under threat um, and so they they really became quite insular uh, in terms of how they were willing to engage and their willingness to put their brand their reputation on the line especially for me they didn't know me. Um, but it comes from a very patriarchal um, scarcity mindset where power is entirely determined by competition. And so it's the idea that there is a limited amount of power, a limited amount of resources. The only way to get them um, are to take them from somebody else who already has them. Um, and it is the zero sum game. I don't actually think that way. Um, I think that if we collaborate and we cooperate, um, frankly, we can make an abundance, like we can create more together than we ever could on our own. Um, and so I have I have found in some cases that this mentality of scarcity um, has has so overtaken the minds of women leaders who I looked up to um, that some of my biggest sponsors have been men um, because they they didn't have the same. They didn't come at it from the same place. Now, that said. I have had a number of women who have been really valuable mentors and sponsors to me. Um, but then again, I've also had quite a, I've, I've had a little bit of a career, um, not a spring chicken. So I've, I've had the opportunity to, to engage with, with all, with all different. Um, but I will start by saying that I, I think that one of the things that I have observed, um, particularly with black and brown professionals who um, are often incredibly hurt um, and very surprised when they encounter their first, you know, their first leader who looks like them. Um, and that person is not champing at the bit to champion them when that person doesn't really seem to have much time for them and is not actively supporting and sponsoring them. And I, I think that a lot of it comes from, uh, frankly, a patriarchal and, white supremacist base that holds that there's only a certain amount of power. There's only a certain amount of resources. And if I don't hang on to mine, somebody else is going to come take it from me and I'm going to end up back at the bottom. And so it's, it's that scarcity mindset. And if people are deep in that, you're not going to shake them. Uh, it's, that is, that is an entrenched mentality. What you, what you do um, 
what I what I did in working with with women who um, and when I say women, I'm I'm talking about in this case, it was white women who were um, not particularly interested in supporting me. Um, what I found that I needed to do was not try to prove myself to them uh, because they took that as direct competition. Uh, they, they read, they read anything. I was trying to be their friend and they were reading like, I mean, it was like every possible sinister, like, I mean, they were, they were like playing out like criminal mind stuff. Like, you know, I I mean, just, they were were being mean girls pretty much. I mean, seriously, it was just like, it was like some sort of behavioral analysis unit looking at me and like, oh, she's only doing this because of that. It's like, no, I just brought you cupcakes because I'm trying to be nice. Um, and I was like, it's a damn cupcake. Anyway, sorry. Coming back. Um, so I would say that, that recognizing where, where people are, are coming from that, um, despite, you know, despite your incredible personality, you are not going to convert them. Um, and finding ways in which you can identify supporters, um, who are adjacent to that person um, and can corral them as needed. So what, what this is one of those where it's like you kind of point, you point your sponsors at the people where it's like, okay, if they're an active detractor, you point your sponsor and you just nudge them back to neutral. If they're just not giving you what you need, cut your losses, move on, Focus your energy on the people and the opportunities that are giving you what you need to be effective. Yeah, that is that is so key for me. Um, I've been in that very same situation um, where uh, you know I've I've had I worked in an organization and there were two black male leaders and then I got promoted and um, was a, a peer of theirs. Um, and, and seeking some some guidance and information, they did not like that. They took everything I did <laughs> as as you know I'm in direct competition with them. And really, what I found that's worked for me is really to to understand number one where that comes from. What Liz stated, right? There's a scarcity mindset, a crab in the barrel mind, uh, cra- yeah, crabs in the barrel mindset where we want to pull other people down so we can get up. Um, and you sort of have to recognize. You're not going to to win them over, as Liz said. And I really just sort of stayed away from them, as as far away from them as I could and didn't focus my energy on them, as Liz stated. Um, But I also used it as an opportunity to reflect on how I interact with people who may be coming up after me or seeking mentorship or guidance or sponsorship from me as well to ensure that I'm not someone who's a perpetuator of this same situation, right? Knowing that this is something that was a a roadblock for me in my career, um, ensuring that I wasn't a roadblock for someone else, right? Um, I think it's it's a really, really uh, important part of that is the the reflection, the self-reflection and making sure that you don't perpetuate that cycle yourself. Right. Yes. So. so we have maybe two more questions left. Yes. Um, yes. So two the, more to a question. Go ahead, Tristan. Oh yeah. So I was gonna say um there the first one looks like it's from I believe your name is Bashra. Please don't please don't uh, hate me if I mispronounce it. Um, but they said, can you please give us some examples of sponsors? Um, and I think that's a very interesting question because I think that sort of 
you know, I think that changes and looks different in different ways, but maybe some examples of what sponsors do for people or how they wield their power for people, maybe that might be a, a little bit more easier to actually answer. <laughs> well, I actually, I love the question because okay. I think that it's one of those, it's one of those things where um, until you actually see it in practice, it can be really hard to visualize, right? If you don't have a mental model for it, um, it's it's just, it's hard to think, well, what would that look like for me in practice? So let me let me kind of give a few examples of, of what I've seen um, from, from people who have been sponsors. So I, um, I was really lucky to have a sponsor who knew that, um, who recognized some of my, some of my core skills and talents, um, recognized that I, um, was a really good writer and that I was also good at, um, getting, getting people to come together and produce, um, quite a bit of content that could be synthesized and then pushed out. Um, and also that I, I was creative in how I did that, um, in terms of how I thought about, um, and remember this was back in the day when we, you know, made books, um, for those on the call, those, those are come from paper, which you make from trees. Um, so back in the day, right? Like, um, when digital was fairly nascent, it was, uh, a question of, you know, somebody who could think ahead and be like, you know, we could actually push some of this content on this new thing called LinkedIn. Um, and, and we could, you know, we can bring, we can bring this information in new and different ways. And so he recognized these things that, that I was doing. Um, and he had a project that he had been working on for years and he knew that in order to get it to the next level, it was going to require a degree of creativity, just didn't have. Um, and also frankly, time and energy and enthusiasm that after, you know, 15 years of working on this project, kind of waning. Uh, and so what he did was he said, you know, I see, and again, this is, there is a transactional element to this. He needed help. Um, but what he recognized was instead of saying, I'm going to pull somebody and just make them do it because I need this help. He actually said, you know, this is something that would benefit Liz. This would give her an outlet. It would let her show off her skills. It would build her network and it would raise her profile. And she'd actually enjoy it. Like it's something that she's expressed interest in. And so what he did was he just came to me and said, I've got this opportunity for you. It involves work on your part. It will benefit me and I need the help. Uh, so he was transparent, right? It wasn't like, oh, I've got this great thing for you and there's nothing in it for me. No, he was honest. And through that, I had this, I had this incredible opportunity that turned into a lot of publications and frankly became part of the cornerstone for the business case I was able to make for my major promotion. So that was one example of somebody coming in and being a sponsor and saying, I'm going to use my power. I'm going to use my privilege. I'm going to use my role. I'm going to use my resources. And not only that, he handed me the mic. If you think about it, right? That was, that was his platform and he let me take it. And so that kind of thing, somebody is willing to give you their stuff. Like you need stuff and this person is willing to give you their stuff. Uh, something else that I've seen be a, be a, a, a strong sponsor uh, was um, a, a guy, a, one of my colleagues, he 
um, it came to his attention that there was um, a a staff person who had been really um, badly treated, who had been in a series of situations, um, and frankly, it wasn't getting resolved, um, and it certainly wasn't getting resolved um, in um, in in any you know any time soon. And so, um, what what my colleague did um, was he took it way up the chain. And he said, you know, these folks aren't getting it solved. I am going to put my reputation and my capital on the line, and I'm going to go to the big boss. And I'm going to say to the big boss, this needs to get fixed. And he recognized that it could really backfire on him because although he has power in the organization, he's not the big boss. Um, And if the big boss took it badly, um, it could come back really badly for him. Um, But what he did was he used his power to mediate a situation where he knew that somebody else needed someone to stick up for him um, against very active detractors. And that's what he did. And to me, that was a a fantastic example of somebody using their power, using their position to act as a sponsor and better an outcome for somebody with less power. Perfect. Now, yeah, I think those were really great examples uh, of sponsorship, 100%. I'm sorry to say we have to wrap this show up. But Liz, we greatly appreciate you. And also, uh, I have notes. As you can see, I have, I have some notes. And I want... Well, it was something that you said, and I don't want to expound upon those in future topics. So if you want, we can always have this conversation again. We're more than welcome to always come back to the Living Corporate Access Point community and share some of your knowledge and wisdom to everyone that's involved here. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And again, I I just appreciate y'all for, for riding with us and sticking it out and, and being so engaged. That's um, that's just fantastic. And I wish you incredible success in your careers. Um, I am sure that my contact info will get dropped somewhere. Um, but please seek me out on Twitter, seek me out on LinkedIn. Um, I'm I'm here and and I'm I'm really happy to engage with you. Yes, Liz, we really appreciate you coming and sharing, uh, especially on this topic. I think this is a topic that, you know, at least for me, when I was entering the workforce, I didn't have a lot of information on. I didn't know the difference between a sponsor and a mentor, right? Um, And a super fan and a casual fan. It it really, I think this is very valuable information for anyone entering the workforce um, at this point in time. So I really appreciate you coming and sharing this knowledge. Connect with Liz. She's dropping all the gems here, right? She was over here preaching. So. (laughs) So thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. Make sure to pop back in next week. Um, We are, you know, this happens every single week. So thanks again, everyone. Thanks again, Liz. It was nice seeing you. Um, And we'll be back at you on next Tuesday. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.